Would you heal those who are sick? Would you provide jobs and income for those who have been laid off? And most of all, Father, would you give us hope and remind us that hope is not merely a feeling. Hope is Jesus. He is our blessed hope. He never fails. He never backs away from his promises. He never forgets. He never forsakes. And he rules and reigns at the right hand of God the Father. So we dedicate this time to you. We give you our lives. We ask you to meet our needs. And thank you that we not only can have hope, we can actually rejoice in the hope that we have because our joy is Jesus. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And if you agree, say amen. And turn to Exodus chapter 5. Exodus chapter 5. We've been looking at Moses and what he is doing and going through as God gets ready to deliver the children of Israel from slavery. But you know, as I look through this, this doesn't look much like a move of God. Doesn't look like anything I would ever think of being a movement of God. In fact, it reminded me of a time when a man came to a church I pastored and he preached out of Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost and he preached about prerequisites for revival. And he started talking about unity and prayer and all of these different things. And I remember sitting there going, Lord, if we had all of those, we wouldn't need revival. It seemed like something was out of order and out of whack on all of that. And that reminded me of some things that I've noticed in the Word of God. I want you to consider before we read our text, what about Gideon? Gideon was the guy that the Lord was going to use to deliver Israel from the uh, oppression of the Midianites. And when you open up the book of Judges to the part that talks about Gideon, I can't remember where it is right now, but uh, if you open it up there, you find uh, Gideon is actually hiding. He's fearful. He is uh, beating out the grain, threshing the grain in a wine press. You don't ever do that. You would do it out in the open. But he was terrified. And the angel of the Lord says, Hail, mighty man of valor. Well, he sure didn't look like it. And yet God did a mighty thing through Gideon with those 300 men. And uh, you remember that story. And I was uh, thinking about Israel when they are paralyzed before a giant named Goliath. Saul doesn't have an answer, and he's the king that stood a head taller than anyone else. The captains and generals in the army don't have the answer. The army is petrified and paralyzed before Goliath. And along comes a junior high kid to check on his brothers and bring them lunch. And what happens? Before the story is over, the junior high kid has slung a rock at Goliath, and Goliath has fallen, and uh, then... What happens after that? Then the armies rush in. Didn't look like a move of God at first, did it? And then you think about Jesus coming to be the Savior of mankind. And you think about God invading human history. And how does he do it? He's born in Bethlehem in a manger in an obscure place in an obscure time. And nobody but shepherds really pay any attention to it. Doesn't look much like a work of God to me. Well, that got me to thinking as I read Exodus chapter 5. What do you think these people were anticipating? 
Well, I would suppose that when Moses and Aaron first came and said, we've heard from the God of your fathers and we've come to set you free, there was probably a big spark of of joy, a big surge of emotion. Finally, 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 God is doing something as if God hadn't been doing anything before. Finally, God has heard us, as if he hadn't heard them before. Finally, God is with us, as if he had been absent before. You know, we do those kind of things, don't we? We make assumptions on what we see, what we feel, what we think, what we surmise, what the media tells us. We look at all of that, and then we determine whether God is moving or not. In fact, sometimes when we have an exciting church service, we say, Oh, God showed up today. What are you implying? That he wasn't, any, he wasn't with us before. Sometimes when we have a financial blessing. Oh the Lord bless me. What are you implying? That he hadn't blessed you before? That food and shelter and clothing wasn't enough? Sometimes we look and we say. Oh God is certainly good. As if he wasn't good the day before. Or in the situation before. And so we make these judgments. And these assumptions about things. And we're just frankly not qualified and we're not smart enough to really know what God is doing because sometimes when God is doing a great work of power and of deliverance sure doesn't look like it well let's read in Exodus chapter 5 and let's uh, think about all of this because what we're really saying here is surprise it's God it's not just the devil working it's not just evil sometimes in the midst of the worst situations maybe like what we're going through maybe God is doing things we don't even know because a great move of God doesn't always look like a great move of God so let's go to Exodus 5 verse 6 so the same day this is after Moses and Aaron have confronted Pharaoh and Pharaoh says not going to do it and dismisses him says get back to work The same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their officers, saying, You shall no longer give the people straw to make brick as before. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. And you shall lay on them the quota of bricks which they made before. You shall not reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry out, saying, Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Too much time on their hands. Verse 9. Let more work be laid on the men, that they may labor in it, and let them not regard false words. And the taskmasters of the people and their officers went out and spoke to the people, saying, Thus says Pharaoh, not the Lord, Pharaoh. I will not give you straw. Go get yourself straw where you can find it. Yet none of your work will be reduced. So the people were scattered abroad throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble instead of straw. And the taskmasters forced them to hurry, saying, Fulfill your work, your daily quota, as when there was straw. Also, the officers of the children of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not fulfilled your task in making brick both yesterday and today as before? 
Well, then the officers of the children of Israel came and cried out to Pharaoh. Notice, not the Lord, to Pharaoh, saying, Why are you dealing thus with your servants? There is no straw given to your servants, and they say to us, Make bricks. And indeed, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. But he said, You are idle. Therefore, you say, Let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Therefore, go now and work, for no straw shall be given you, yet you shall deliver the quota of bricks. And the officers of the children of Israel saw that they were in trouble after it was said, You shall not reduce any bricks from your daily quota. Then as they came out from Pharaoh, they met Moses and Aaron, who stood there to meet them. And they said to them, Let the Lord look on you and judge, because you have made us abhorrent in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants to put a sword in their hand to kill us. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Why is it that you have sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people. Neither have you delivered your people at all. Doesn't sound like a victorious movement of God or a revival I've ever been to. Doesn't sound like anything great is happening here. And yet they are on the verge of a miracle. They are on the verge of one of the greatest moves of God in human history. And I think sometimes that they are like us or we are like them, I guess we should say. In that we tend to judge God. We tend to judge the times. We tend to judge our circumstances by feelings and by emotions and all of that instead of the promises of the Word of God. Anybody here guilty of that? Sometimes we know Romans 8.28. It just doesn't feel right to quote it. And it doesn't seem like it's actually in force. Sometimes we can say that God is in control. And that usually means something like I got a good parking spot at the mall. And then when things go the other way. When that telephone rings with a call you didn't want to get. When the boss has news for you that you weren't expecting. Those type of things. Then we wonder. And then we sort of evaluate everything on the basis. How can this be good? How can this bring God glory? How can God be in control of this? And all you have to do is watch some of the preachers on TV and you'll hear them say almost that very thing. As if God has fallen off the throne. As if God doesn't know what he's doing. As if until we get it right and pray it right and tell God what he's supposed to do and remind him of his word and force him into action... That God's this reluctant person up in the distance at just kind of doing his own thing, twiddling his thumbs, telling jokes with the angels and all of that, and then has to say, oh yeah, I got some promises that I have to give to my people. That's not the God presented in the Bible. In fact, whenever there is a movement of God, understand that uh, God is not asking you, you know, to figure it out. He's asking you to trust him that he's already got it figured out. God is working a plan. 
And in the case of the children of Israel, it's a long, long plan, hundreds of years that they have been in slavery. Now it's time. And when these two men show up, Moses and Aaron, when they confront Pharaoh, the people of Israel were probably saying, yeah, finally somebody is contending for us. Somebody's standing up. Somebody's going to tell old Pharaoh the way that it is. And Pharaoh will get bitten by that serpent. Pharaoh will be struck by lightning. Pharaoh will drop dead. This is the time for the powerful showdown. And what happens when it's all over? Pharaoh says, What do you mean, let the people go worship their God out in the wilderness? The only reason they can do that is because they don't have enough work to do. So take away the straw from them and tell them to make the same quota of bricks. And it didn't matter who the people appealed to, whether it was their own taskmasters or whether they actually went before Pharaoh. The answer was the same. Get back to work and you're going to be expected to do more than you were before because now you've got to keep the quota up and gather your own straw. You want to worship God, then you've got too much time on your hands. I worked at a pizza place one time. Does anybody here, are you old enough to remember Ken's Pizza? And I worked at a Ken's Pizza. It opened up in Owasso. It was kind of the show place for all of them. It was a different concept of the uh, typical pizza restaurant. We served breakfast and all of that kind of stuff. And they had the corporate people in there like they do when they open you up. And uh, we were working. And I remember one time we had a rush that lasted quite a while. And we finally got through. And I leaned on the counter. And one of the managers came by and popped me with a towel. And he said this. If you've got time to lean, you've got time to clean. That's what Pharaoh was saying, wasn't he? If you've got time to worship, you've got more time to work. If you've got time to go sacrifice to your God, it just means you've got too much time on your hands. We'll take care of that. And that's the only answer that they got. Get busy. Get to work. You're lazy. You're idle. We'll show you what it means to ask for time off. You'll never do that again. And that's what's happening. It doesn't really look like any kind of a move from God, does it? It doesn't look like anything's happening. And it doesn't feel like it. The children of Israel are not singing the doxology And Moses and Aaron, when they meet the people, they don't find the people happy to see them. In fact, the people are asking for God to judge them. Look what you have done to us. Claiming to speak for God. What kind of a word from God is this? What kind of a movement of God is this? You've made us abhorrent as if things were not bad enough, preacher. You've made us abhorrent in the eyes of Pharaoh. And it ends up, this story, with Moses kind of questioning God himself. If anybody ever said that you cannot have a great movement of God unless you have a faith-filled prophetic leader, well, you don't find that here, do you? In fact, Moses is going back again to the burning bush. Why did you send me? Why did this happen? I've done all of this, and I did my part, and look what happened. The people are not yet delivered. Have you ever felt like that? You go before God and say, God, I don't understand. I gave money to the church. I attended. I witnessed. I took some sin out of my life. I've read books. I've done all of these kind of things. I did my part. Why aren't you doing yours? That's what Moses essentially is saying. He's saying something like this. Let's put it this way. I showed up and you didn't. I was before Pharaoh. Where were you? 
I delivered the message. Where were you? Why didn't you anoint it? Why didn't you bless it? I'm done. I'm giving up. And that's not going to be the first time Moses is going to go through this. Sometimes when God moves, there are some things that happen and they seem to happen with more frequency than not and we need to get it in our minds. Number one would be this. The enemy wastes no time. You know why? Because they take God seriously more than the people of God. You see, Pharaoh was looking at this and he's seeing a real threat and a real situation that's coming up. And so it says, the same day, not two days later, not after he met with his counselor advisors. I mean, that same day, he says, no more straw, find it yourself, and you better not be one brick shy of a full load, right? Man, the enemy is quick. Because the enemy knows the promises of God. The enemy knows the word of God. And let me tell you, they know the power of God. That's why they're the enemy. If you'll remember, Lucifer and all of his demons were once angels in heaven. And because Lucifer led a rebellion against the Most High God, he and those who followed him were cast out of heaven. You think they went by choice? Not on your life. You see, this idea that somehow hell is a place where the devil, the hotter the better, man, he's having a great time, and that he's the one tormenting all of the people in hell, uh, I, I would ask you to search your Bible for that. In fact, Jesus told us about a place called the lake of fire that was prepared for the devil and his angels. The demons of hell. That's a place of torment. That's a place of punishment for them. See, the demons of hell and Satan himself, they know the power of God. They are created beings. They have a limited power and a limited scope of authority. They are not sovereign and they are not, will not, have not overthrown God. God is the one who is in control. And they know where they're going. In fact, the Bible says that the devil is angry knowing that his time is short. As we get closer to the return of Christ, our deliverance, right? Guess what we're going to see? An uptick in the enemy's activity. Why? He knows his time is short. He knows the power of God. And he knows he has to act now. And that's why those times when God stirs in your heart, teaches you something, reminds you of something, and you're drawn to him, and you begin to pray, why do the attacks increase? Because the enemy doesn't waste time. Like Pharaoh, they strike while the iron is hot because they believe far more than the people of God do about the power and the promises of God. The devil knows what's happening. He's working through Pharaoh and he says, you better get after it and you better get after it now. Second thing. This movement of God that doesn't really look like a movement of God. This miracle that doesn't work, look, or feel like a miracle. But it's happening. It's happening. Sometimes it makes life harder. Sometimes it brings on hardship, doesn't it? There are those times when God is moving... And as he moves, he doesn't just make everything easy and fall into place. Sometimes he allows you to go through some struggle and some hardship. Now, is God good? Yes. Is he good all the time? Yes. Is he working all things together for our good? That's what the Bible says. 
And sometimes that involves some struggle. Sometimes that involves some hardship. Because there are some things you and I don't appreciate unless there's some degree of a struggle. Sometimes God allows you to do without so that when he blesses you, you really appreciate it. Sometimes he allows you to struggle over time so that when the rest comes, you appreciate the rest instead of being an entitled brat. And sometimes a struggle is to get you ready for something else. I heard a story the other day about a man who was watching a, a, a caterpillar that had gone into a chrysalis and turned into a butterfly. You know how that works. Trying to get out. Trying to get out of it. And so we watched and he watched the struggle and he watched as that butterfly tried and tried and tried and tried. And he thought, well, I'll help the butterfly out. And so he broke the chrysalis and the butterfly came out. And to his dismay, he watched as the butterfly never was able to fly. He watched as the butterfly had a short, unproductive life because he hadn't gone through the struggle. And he found out that part of the way God had made the butterfly is that through the struggle to get out, what happened? He became stronger. He became more developed. And in the same way, in your life, God allows hardship to come into your life because you need to be strengthened. And the children of Israel, they needed to be ready for the rigors of the wilderness. And so God wanted them to appreciate it. And God wanted them to know the power that it took to set them free. That it wasn't Moses negotiating. It wasn't the art of the deal. It wasn't anything like that at all. Moses and Aaron were not persuasive. They were not powerful figures here. And uh, this was going to be God. And it was going to be God alone if anything was going to happen. Ever been through anything like that? Sometimes when God is delivering you, he doesn't make it easier. Sometimes it actually gets harder. And the third thing that comes up is that God becomes the main issue. We would think as we read this story that the main issue would probably be something like, you know, setting the slaves free. What will that do to our economy? What will that make our empire look like? But you notice that Pharaoh comes back to that thing about how dare you want to go sacrifice to your God. Now in Pharaoh's mind, he's God. He's the descendant of the God. He's the firstborn of the gods. What do you want to go worship somebody else for? There's a little bit of jealousy in here. And there's a little bit of envy in all of this. How dare you? I'll show you who's boss. And it's not Jehovah. It's me. And so he starts piling it on and piling it on and piling it on and piling it on because this is really not a clash between Moses and Pharaoh or the people of Israel and Pharaoh. It's a clash between the God of Israel and Pharaoh who thinks that he is a God. He sends his people out and they sound kind of like Old Testament prophets except instead of saying, thus saith the Lord, they go, thus saith Pharaoh. And Pharaoh would have liked it that way. You take my word as a word of God because I am a descendant of the gods. How dare you worship this God who can't even free you from slavery. This God who can't even overcome Egypt and all of its might. Well, he's going to find out, isn't he? But God becomes the main issue. And in your life, the way you respond to this virus 
God is going to be the issue. Are you a believer or are you not? Are you resting in him or are you not? Are you hoping in him or are you not? Are you going to trust him to be your provider or are you not? And that's what separates us from everybody else in the world. And that's why when they look at us and they don't see us as making God the main issue, they just don't get it. And they think that our gathering here is just for futility. It's just out of tradition. It's just something that we do on Sunday mornings instead of knowing that we serve the ruler, the master of the universe. That's why we've got to make God the issue in our life. And we're ambassadors for Christ and we're witnessing for him. And even our children in our homes during times of quarantine, they're watching and they're listening and they're learning as to everything we say, whether we believe it or whether we do not. God is the issue. And then the fourth thing that happens is, notice this, the leaders even begin to doubt. You know, we always kind of want to have somebody that we can hang our hat on, that we can, you know, put our, our uh, vote behind, and we can stand behind them. They'll be our champion. It's like Israel when they said to Samuel, we want a king. Well, why would you want a king when God is your ruler? Because we can see a king and we can't see God. We want somebody that will ride out on a, on a horse, leading us into battle, sitting tall in the saddle, and we can go long live the king and we can follow him. Everybody else has a king, and the king rallies them all together. We just need a king. We need someone that we can see. And many times as a church of the Lord Jesus Christ, we do the same thing. We want somebody that we can see. We want somebody who is powerful, somebody who is faith-filled, someone who looks good on television, someone who can rally us and inspire us, someone who is a quote machine. And if you have all of that, then you have this tendency not to need God. And so God uses this frail man called Moses. And Moses gets to the point when all of this is over, he's saying, Lord, I showed up, you didn't. What gives? I came here to deliver the people. You're doing a lousy job at it. Do you need some help? Do you need some advice? What is this all about? And all of this happens so that God receives the glory and not Moses. That Moses himself, like all leaders, every pastor, every president, every governor, Every mayor needs to come to the end of themselves to see their limitations so that they learn to trust in the sovereign God who put them in their place of authority. And why does he do that? Because everybody in the world, whether they rule or whether they follow, they need to see that it's God who is the ultimate, not the person that they find their hope in. And so it was that when all of this happens here, somebody wrote that with the Hebrews, just as hope was awakened, the opposition against them became stronger. And just when deliverance seemed near, their oppression was increased. And so many times we find that same thing happening with us. It's darkest just before it becomes dawn. It's harder just before the real power breaks out. A real testing was this for God's servant. For it is far more trying to be criticized by our own brethren than by those, uh, or by those whom we are anxious to help than it is to be persecuted by the world. You know what that means? 
Sometimes it's when you're criticized by the people that are supposed to have your back. The people that are supposed to be with you. It's harder to take criticism from them than it is from Pharaoh, isn't it? And that's what Moses is experiencing. He feels defeated. He feels let down. He feels like God has not really done what he was supposed to do. And Moses is going, I did my part. How come you're not doing yours? Why did that happen? Because the people were criticizing Moses for what was happening. Moses is filled with doubt. Can you see how God could use that to his own glory? Can you see how God could use all of this to get the people of Israel, the slaves, not to trust in Moses, but to trust in God? And can you see how God also says, and Moses, don't get too big for your britches because you're no better than they are. You're a frail human. You're a child of dirt like they are. And Moses needed to trust them as well. And so just to wrap this up, Let me give you a few points just to consider as we get ready to leave. Don't be too quick to judge. God may be doing something you don't anticipate. Hey, could that be the case in all of this problem with our economy, with our health, with the quarantine, with job losses, with all of this kind of stuff? Could God be up to something that we don't... Well, I don't see how God could be in that. I don't either. But I don't see how he could be in this in Exodus 5 either, right? And yet he was... That's the key. He was. The second thing is, remember that the hardship of life may not be because of your sin. About the time life gets hard, you'll have plenty of people that will say, well, did you pray right? Did you use this phrase when you prayed? I know of a preacher one time that his son committed suicide. Can you imagine going through that? His son committed suicide. And someone came up to him and said, I guess now you know the value of praying in tongues. Well, people can be cruel. People can be cruel. And sometimes your hardship may not be because of your sin. It may be because the devil, Pharaoh, is so threatened. That's all he knows how to do. He's an oppressor, by the way. Thirdly, consider this. Everything that happens is about God's glory, not your comfort. Everything that happens is about God's glory, not your comfort. Now, I want it to be about my comfort. You want it to be about your comfort. If God really was God and really was good and really doing something, wouldn't he make life easier for us? Well, read your Bible and find out that he doesn't always do that. In fact, sometimes, as we said, life gets harder whenever God is getting ready to do a work because the word is out and the enemy is opposing the work of God. Understand that. And then the last thing is, the very people you look to for hope may be struggling more than you realize. That person that seems so confident, so powerful, has it all together. I've lived long enough and been around enough people, been around some very famous people, some men of God, that when you get down to the nitty-gritty of their life, they're struggling even more than some of you are. And you're putting your hope in frail man, in frail people. And I'm here to say as we end this all up, don't do that. Think about what David said in the psalm. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Hope in God. And that's our message today. I don't know what life looks like for you. I don't know what all is happening in you. But I got a feeling we touched on some of it today. 
and you look and you see hopes and dreams kind of shattered. They turn to ashes. What all is going on here? And that is just God giving you his message. Quit trusting in things. Quit trusting in people. Quit trusting in circumstances. Quit trusting in politicians. Can I get an amen on that one? And put your hope where it belongs. The only one who is worthy of your hope. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen on that? And that's the message for today. Let's pray together before we leave. Father, thank you for this time we've had together to look into your word, to sing your praises, and to pray together. I pray that you would also bless us even as we give today, that everyone who gives according to your command, I pray that they would be blessed beyond measure, not just monetarily, but in all other ways. I pray, Father, that all of us who put our hope in Christ, that we would see and feel and know and be able to express to other people that we found a rock and that rock is secure and we are anchored in Christ. Christ is our hope and we rejoice in that hope. And I pray that the blessings would flow as we tell other people of your goodness and as we show other people your goodness. And I pray, Father, that wherever there is oppression, may that oppression cease in your timing, but only as it has fulfilled your plan and purpose. And let us rest in you, trust in you, and hope in you. And thank you for this Lord's Day. Thank you for these who have gathered here. Thank you for those who are watching us by live stream. May the name of Jesus be glorified and praised as we leave here today. It's been good to be together with the people of God. Thank you for your blessings. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.